Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Huggy Bear. And this is Frank and Preach. <laughs> I love how you still shorten it to Frank and Preach. That makes me sound ghetto. Well, I think you're trying to think you're a little bit cooler than you really are. Coming to you for, uh, I don't even know, I think we're up to like 119, 120 episodes here. Yeah. Hey, I'm watching this show right now called The Goldbergs, and it is so stinking funny. It's like a show set in the 80s with this little kid, and every time you see him, he's got a shirt that's like Ghostbusters or Boba Fett, and he's totally like our generation, but his older brother is a rap, a rapper, like, you know, self-proclaimed white rapper boy, and uh, his his name, his mic name is Big Tasty. <laughs> You kind of see this show, man. It is the funniest thing. And it's a Jewish household. And they actually show what it was. He's one of those rapper? kids. Like, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he's like uh, he's like the, the, the uncool vanilla ice. It's so funny, dude. And uh, you, you got to watch this thing. I, I don't even know how to describe it. But it's this Jewish family. The kid, he really did film his family growing up in the 80s. And so they'll do an episode based on real life. And at the end, it'll actually show him. What is this and on Netflix? Video footage. Yeah. yeah uh, no, it's on Amazon. Okay. But uh, if if you didn't get any of the references in Church Zero, cha-ching, you just got to watch a Goldbergs. That's all I'm saying. And unfortunately, there's plenty of uh, church planners who either didn't grow up in our era or honestly, they had a really disappointing childhood. Well, like yourself. I mean, you're yeah, really. Yeah, but I understood the, the references. I, I understood all of it. 
I just wasn't allowed to watch most of it. <laughs> That's why as soon as you got out of the house, you're like, film, film major. <laughs> Dude, it was such a disappointment to my parents. Oh, my gosh, when I told them I was a film major. Oh, man, you were drinking pop culture through a garden hose. But I was going to Biola, so, I mean, come on, they couldn't get mad. My dad went to seminary at Talbot, and my mom graduated from Biola, and... The, actually, this is a true story. The only reason I ended up going to Biola was because it was nothing like what they said their college experience was like. Like, I went down for one of those high school visitation weekends. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is nothing like what they've described. You know, because my mom had curfew and lights out at 11 o'clock and they would roam the halls. And I'm like, I'm not going to a college like that. Are you out of your mind? So funny story, right? Enter and I are on our way down to Biola and we're dating. Well, are we dating? No, we're not dating. I still dig her. I dug her on senior year. We started hanging out as friends. Everyone thought we we're dating. We weren't. And uh, she started dating a dude. And I saw her a year after we graduated again in college. We landed in a history class and we go, hey, let's go see our friend, you know, who's over at Biola. So we hop in my car and uh, I always, man, I was single mom. So, you know, I always had to buy like the 500, $600 car. And this is back like eighties, nineties. So those of you guys today that, you know, grew up a little bit later, this generation that does not know Voltron, uh, you guys had it easy, man. And we, uh, we had to like actually go work and earn money and like buy our cars. It was, it was a different time, was, you know? Time. So anyways, we, uh, we we go over this train track and my car come, someone had stole my car radio out of my car so we're coming back it's late at night we'd seen our friend and uh, but you, Biola sparked me because I I want to go there just because it had a cafeteria I'm like food food all the time this is awesome but when anyways we had a train track my first car was the uh, the same as like ninety percent of all high school students it was a Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, baby. Those things ran like tanks. I had a Plymouth Duster. I still, and, I, I uh, bought, I just, well, you know this. I bought a couple of years ago a 69 Volkswagen Bug because of, you know, my, my youth, my first car wanting to fix it up. But you know what we called my Volkswagen Bug? It had a name. What? We called it the Honey Wagon. Because you no. pile some honeys in it. Dude, you so remind me of the big brother on the Goldbergs. Big you, tasty in the house. <laughs> The Everyone knew it as the Honey Wagon. H-N-Y-W-G-N, baby. That's the license plate. Honey Wagon. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, some honey's that's in there. awesome. So, uh, so I, I mean, you know, like I had a Plymouth Duster and like I can remember like it gets, you know, hot summers in California. You got to like stand on the fender, front fender, pee in the radio on the side of the, or the uh, radiator, on the side of the pee on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that never happened. I'm just saying. Usually it was peeing in the radiator and uh, keeping it from overheating. But anyway, so we go over these train tracks and my car completely shuts off. Like the electrics, everything's just gone. The engine, boom. And uh, I could not get it started. And all I can remember was Andrea would, would tell me, you know, at that time, she would, she would always tell me, all oh, these cheesy Christian guys, you know, they they take you out. And then they're like, hey, baby, what's your gift? You know, and they're making the moves on you. What's and stuff, your and, gift? Oh, yeah, and they're like, she goes, oh, and they're so cheesy. And she's telling me like, oh, yeah, my car broke down and blah, blah, blah. So she's had this discussion with me. This is the first time that she and I have ever been out. It's not a date, but it's the first time we've ever been alone. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my car broke down. <laughs> and we're in the middle of nowhere, dude. I think we were somewhere like 
I don't know, man. We were on. We weren't even on beach. We were on like some side street. It might have been Valley View in an industrial center, but we hit that railroad track. And when that thing shut off, I went into like full on defense mode. Like I, I promise, I'm not. I'm not making the moves. I'm. 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 I'm speaking like a million miles an hour. You know, like trying to tell her, and she's just laughing. You know, and uh, so that's a sweet memory we have. We're playing a game right now where once a day one of us has to come up with a good memory of uh, something, you know, like the Jones's greatest moment. So, and I got a lot of them. Let me just be honest with you. <laughs> See, I, I don't think that game would work in my household. Remember that time we watched that show? Yeah, that was cool. I liked that show. No, it would, it would, cause I would want to like, remember all the stuff that I thought was funny that she didn't like, <laughs> I would be the antagonist and it it would eventually she would get really frustrated with me and be like, all right, that's it. I don't want to play this game anymore. All of hers would be of Disneyland and you'd be like, no, not a happy oh, memory at all. I hate Disneyland. I still do hate Disneyland. Yeah. I think my pass is about ready to expire and Jamie's actually wondering if she's going to renew it. <laughs> I'm like, don't renew mine. Don't. I don't want to go. I hate Disneyland. Legoland, baby. Everything's awesome. Unhappiest man at the happiest place on earth. I'm just saying. Well, you'd be happy if you go to Legoland because I'll go with you. Yeah. Well, hey, before we get into our SmackDown, even though we're seven minutes in, uh, we got to always do that. What's our topic today? Our topic uh, well, Yoda, today, I'm supposed to. Yoda's got a few words to say. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Here's, here's Yoda. Welcome. You are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by Predestination by Ethan Hawk. Oh, wait. No. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Mo Give. Emoji IV. Fresh. <laughs> Incorporated. Hey, uh, Peyton, let me ask you something. Have you been wanting to get your church started with online giving? It's weird on so many levels because not only did I have a strange sense of deja vu when you asked me that, but it's like you read my mind. Well, let me ask you something. Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Dude, you're blowing me away. You know I have. Stop it! A better solution is here. MoGive, spelled... Emoji IV... ...is an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. And occasionally, shrinking ones. Go to MoGive.com forward slash church to learn more. That's MoGive. Okay, Donovan Stallo. M-I-G-I-V. You know, I think we got to do the commercials in like a different voice each time. Like, um, mm. yeah. MoGive it is. Think you do it? Will I? Mm? Yeah, like do an entire commercial as Yoda or Batman. <laughs> oh, Mr. T all the way. Yo, yo, fool, listen. MoGive. I pay the food and use online giving. What's your full name, Mr. T? My first name is Mr. My middle name's that little period. And my last name's T. (laughs) Don't make me mad. Mm. (laughs) Dude, I love it. I love it. So what do we get to talk about in our our SmackDown? Or do I need to do a little Hulk? Yeah, no, but uh, we're supposed to do. Oh, yeah, we do. But I'm supposed to at the very beginning. We're We're supposed to at the very beginning tell them what. It is, but now we might as well wait till Doc Brown comes on. So hit us with a little bit of Hulk. All right, here's a little Hulk. 
Well, let me tell you something, brother. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you gonna do when the Church Planner Podcast runs wild on you? All right, so here's my question. Are we talking in the SmackDown? Are we talking about quantum physics, which is mm. what's been lighting me up all week? Or Let's are we talking about the movie? That. What's that? Let's do a whole episode on that. Oh, my gosh, dude. Mind-blowing. You know what? Yeah. What I didn't share with you? That video that I shared, did you watch it? The yeah. Quantum, the, um, the one with the cartoon, right? Well, the one that's 17 minutes long. Not the one that I sent you like a few days ago, but the ones I sent you yesterday. No, I didn't watch those. Okay. You, you should watch it, man. Totally, totally is exactly what I was thinking about quantum quantum mechanics and <laughs> quantum physics. And um, But that same guy, turns out, like I, I was like, okay, who is this guy? Because he really explained like all the problems that I had with... Uh, the movie "What the Bleep Do We Know" is that's the the name of it. It's basically that's, a, a, that's the actual title. Pete's yeah. not bleeping himself. That no, is it's, actually it's the called title. "What the Bleep Do We Know." You can find it on Amazon Prime, I believe, uh, for free if you've got Amazon Prime. But it's basically it takes one nugget of quantum uh, mechanics, and then they make these gigantic leaps with no uh, proof or scientific explanation. They just say, they basically take this one nugget that they've discovered about quantum mechanics. And all of a sudden, literally at the end of the movie, they go, there is no God. We're all gods. That's how all of this works. We're yeah. gods. We're the ones that, now I'm like, dude, okay, you guys have totally, you know, missed the boat on this. Right. Yeah. So then you told me about a book that you've been reading called biocentrism which is all about quantum mechanics. And, um, dude, they go into so many different experiments that have been done. It's been so cool. Blowing my mind. Yeah. And then they even and The guy's reference. totally confident. Like, the guy's... It's not like he's some cheesy, like, Christian guy who's like... I don't think he's Christian. Is he? Yeah. I, I think he's Jewish. I don't but, think he's Christian, man. Because I'll, I'll tell you, yeah. he and Deepak Chopra, whatever that dude's name is, they're like best buds. Yeah. And I'm like, but okay. He's, even he's a he's, scientist. Even he's, he's missed the point, though. Like even yeah. he and like I haven't finished his book, so I haven't I can't say that I understand his his place yet. I'm only halfway through the book, but yeah. he even references what the bleep do we know? And he goes, you know, the problem is is all the new age people out there, you know, like what the bleep do we know? Um, they take one aspect and then with no explanation they make all these, you know, assumptions. And he goes, and it it doesn't hold true. It, none of it holds true. Yeah. But my whole and and we're totally vague here because if you don't know anything about quantum mechanics and quantum physics, then none of this makes any sense to you. But what I will say is this, is the video that I sent you, this is the one that I sent my buddy. It's like 17 minutes long. It explains what I was thinking when I saw what the bleep do we know and I'm reading biocentrism. It's where I was going with how God is using quantum mechanics. And the guy like right. explains it perfectly. And I'm like, this makes so much sense. And basically the point of this guy's video is quantum mechanics proves that there's a God, like it literally proves there's a God. And yeah. it, it's one of the things that is really ticking off scientists because yeah. the, it's like, they don't want to prove that there's a God. They want to prove that it's all accidental. And, and quantum mechanics has actually proved that everything we know in science, literally everything is not true. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's totally blown everything and it proves that there's a God. So well, it on the on the traditional kind of nuts and bolts, you know, the uh, concrete. This is science, and it's all observable, and blah blah blah. Quantum physics has basically handed, you know, the science that we knew of the, you know, 
before 50 years ago, um, it's rear end, you know, and, and said, look, you thought you knew everything. And so even now, like people are saying well, with quantum physics, wait 50 years. Like we, we know so little. Yeah. But- in, in fact, the, uh, the Nobel prize guy that everyone quotes, um, he's the one who coined the line. Absolutely. No one understands quantum physics. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. It, it's such, because it goes against everything that we understand. Like yeah. literally blows everything we understand. That's why no one really understands it. And, and, and the deeper and down the observable. rabbit hole you go, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and we're actually observing things. Dude, I, I think we devote a whole episode of this to the podcast because, you know, it's apologetics. And church planners, if, if you're doing it right, you're meeting non-believers all the time. You're mixing with people who have questions and you need to not just be on the defense. A mistake that we make a lot of times with non-believers is we're always on the defense, defending the Bible, defending the faith, defending. But sometimes we need to be able to have material that we're, hey, take this and think about it. Take this away with you and let me challenge you now. And I, I think personally that if we can arm our church planners with every discussion they have, they, they don't have to win an argument. They don't have to, it, just in one sitting, they just present some of this information and they say, now you go check it out and let's get together again. That, yeah. that is that is putting I, I would arrows agree in completely because the, the takeaway that I've got from the whole quantum mechanics stuff, yeah. and, and I'm like now the avid mm. reader on the subject, literally since you brought it up on one of our podcasts and we were talking about angels and demons, and then you brought up, well, you know, quantum mechanics. So that's kind of blown away all that other stuff. And and I was like, well, what's this about? You know, and that's what started me down that path. And so here's my takeaway from it. What quantum mechanics does for the conversation on, um, you know, the existence of God or even like this guy who did that video that I sent you, the 17 minute video. Turn, I went to his YouTube channel. Turns out he's a Christian apologist, which I didn't know. Like, cause he doesn't write it as like a, a Christian in the video. So, are you going to turn off your phone, or do we just have to? Yeah, I am. Um, I did. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so I went back to his YouTube channel, and this is a true story, man. He's got a video on there explaining the Trinity, and for the first time in my life, the Trinity makes sense to me. Mm. Not that I understand it, but it makes like I can I can look at that and go, okay, that actually makes sense to me. And um, and I think that the conversation that that uh, that quantum physics gives us is it could be totally wrong and not because we know so little about it. Right. Like we could be totally wrong on the quantum physics, but it allows us to have this conversation with people and these people who were closed off and are like, you know, um, I've, I've only got to believe in science. Well, OK. Well, let's look at science and it just blows it away. And I think it allows yeah. us to have that conversation with people because now we can look at scientific experiments that yeah. are now so common. Like they've done them literally thousands of times that while we don't really fully understand it, we know that things in science don't work the way we thought they did. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it. Every, everybody is an arrogant um, I'm, I'm not going to describe <laughs> them, but every, everybody's arrogant. I mean, we all are. I'm arrogant. Oh, you're arrogant. 
Every, I'm, I'm, everybody's I'm extremely arrogant. arrogant. <laughs> yeah, like we're all arrogant because even as Christians, right? Like we think we know everything. It is very off-putting putting to non-believers when they meet a Christian who thinks they understand everything. It's it's the reason why for me, at times when I hear preachers on the radio, I'm like, oh, Lord, help us. You know, you're you're talking like you have it all figured out. And I'm reading the Bible and God didn't tell us everything about everything. And if anything, Christianity and the gospel and the truth ought to make me humble and make me realize how little I know. And even if I know the Bible, I actually have a very big disconnect between how I actually interact with the world around me versus what the Bible tells me about the world around me. So we're all very ignorant, but yet we are all very arrogant. Mm. And so when you come to a non-believer and you approach him with that attitude, like, look, God didn't tell us everything of it. He told us some things very strongly. And those are like, it's kind of like when you're driving, you know, it's like the, the, the stop, there's stoplights every once in a while, there's center dividers, there's lines on the highway, but you got a lot of freedom. You can go all over the place, right? But you got these certain things. That's how I think of knowledge, right? There's a lot of areas where God just doesn't tell me. So I'll have people go, what about space aliens? And you'll hear people try to like convince everybody that space aliens are impossible. Well, C.S. Lewis didn't think that. Some of the greatest minds in Christianity just said, we don't know. And I'm cool with that. And I think non-believers respect more somebody who says, look, I'm, I'm inquisitive. You know, I'm not part of a cult. Uh, I believe the Bible with all my heart, yet there are many, many things that we're coming to grips with. Like, you know, quantum physics is new. I mean, the, the more they find, like archaeology, I, I love the fact that archaeology, the more they unearth, the more they validate Christianity. They really do. They really do validate the Bible. Um, come up with anything in archaeology that, that has not validated the Bible, and you, you know, you, you make me a surprised man. But the same with, with science. Eventually, when they come to the end of themselves, you kind of go, okay, cool. You know, that that's great. You've you've painted yourself into a corner there, but you were supposed to be inquisitive. You weren't supposed to be clinging to things. And it's kind of like, you know, that game Clue where, you know, you got to come up with, you know, it was Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick. There's There's always a motive. What is the motive for the scientific community believing this? It's like Dawkins when he says, uh, you know, in an interview that, well, as soon as I didn't have to believe in God anymore, I found my, that it was very freeing uh, emotionally, mentally. Um, I suddenly felt as if I were free. And there's a motive to him wanting to tenaciously cling to the fact that uh, Christianity is a myth. And, you know, I, I always, I never trust people. I don't think he's some objective guy who walks around and, and thinks, man, truth is the most important thing to me. I must find it at all costs. That's not his motive. It's not the motive of any human being. There's too many ulterior motives that we have. And quite frankly, I, I think when you see someone like him so antagonistic against the faith, it belies the underlying motive that he is terrified that there is a God. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, so like just to share with everyone to throw their their mind in a direction. I'm looking at the text. and I sent you a copy of this text. So yeah, I sent my buddy this video. Right. And so this is a guy who um, believes that there is a God, but yet totally doesn't understand him. Um, 
certainly not a Christian and doesn't subscribe to the, uh, the, the you know, Bible. Um, so I sent him the video because he, he, he actually spurred me uh, into quantum physics a lot because we were at dinner one night and he goes, oh, you know, and quantum physics just blows your mind. And I go, and because of our podcast, I was like, well, tell me more. What do you know about quantum physics? He's like, I don't really know anything. And so he sent me the first video uh, that someone had really explained one of these uh, experiments that's now been down, done thousands of times that when you see it, it's called the double split, uh, a double slit experiment. Mm-hmm. And it just, it blows your mind. Like literally I'm like, Oh my gosh, what just happened? Like, and this is experiments we've done. So, um, so I send him, uh, you know, uh, a link to a video, 17 minute video that I now know is done by an apologist. I didn't know at the time. But it's a video that basically shows how quantum uh, physics, quantum mechanics, explains that there has to be a God. And so I sent that to him, and his text back to me, he goes, this is so crazy. Uh, changes the whole game. Science basically being used to undermine every previous presupposition that science is objective. Really ironic. And then this was my comment to him, because this is where I took it. And, and this will be really, like... I'm just going to throw this out there. Now, this isn't the talk on quantum physics today, but this I'm mm. just throwing this out there. So I put, you know, according to quantum physics, both the Genesis account of creation, basically a seven days, and a 13.7 billion year old universe can both be true. And I know that's not going to make any sense to anyone who has no idea what, you know, quantum physics says. But literally it says ver- both of those could be exactly spot on, which Mm-hmm. To me, it was really ironic because I've always held to one belief more than the other. And uh, and I won't go into which one I did on this podcast. We can do it on the next one. And and this was his comment back. And, and this is why I think this is important. He commented back, it definitely points me away from a God-free explanation of things. Yeah. And, I mean... That's the beauty that this this can have is, you know, we I don't think we know enough. Like quantum physics was found. It was discovered in the 1930s and Einstein yeah. had a real problem with it. And um, and Einstein has now been proven wrong in, in many of his uh, uh, his uh, theories that had to deal with this. He's been proven wrong. I mean, that's how crazy it is. Right. Einstein, if there was ever someone who could trust their gut, it's Einstein. And right. yet you know, we're discovering that he didn't, he didn't have it all together. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things. It's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's the only thing I've wanted to talk about in the last few days. I mean, I've been <clears throat> reading everything I can on the subject. Cause it, I'm just, I'm blown away by, by quantum mechanics. It's, it's crazy. It is. It is. It, it to me, it, it's, you know, as I said on a previous podcast, it, when I first started reading a little bit about quantum physics, I'm like, that's, the physics it's an actual physics that the angels because people used to always go oh angels you know scientific miracles all that stuff it's it's literally impossible yet hume the the philosopher who uh, supposedly disproved the supernatural with quantum physics now all that's possible jesus appearing in the upper room um all that stuff the resurrection all that stuff now we know uh scientifically is conceivable yeah. It's actually conceivable. It's it's and, it's not. I mean, and that's the craziest part is like scientifically now we're proving all of this stuff yeah. that we see yet as no supernatural is is part yeah. of just 
the way God made everything. Like it if you read the book, yeah, if you read the the C.S. Lewis space trilogy, that guy was so stinking ahead of his time, and he was such a mega brain. To to me, the great there there are two things that stand out to me as his greatest works. Number one, the Great Divorce, um, the the bus ride from heaven to hell, which is phenomenal. We could talk about that again, but um, the other one is um, the space trilogy, which nobody's read. Right, very few people have actually picked that up. If you guys want to see a guy who, in the 1950s, was incorporating quantum physics into theology, go and read those books. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, the last 10 years of his life, refused to write anything nonfiction. He believed that his fiction writing was allowing him to reach a broader audience. And I've I've often termed C.S. Lewis as the apostle to the literate. Um, in other words, he was a missionary sent to people who like to read. Um, he was apostle to the academics. But he didn't feel the academic realm was really where God wanted to use him. He felt that God wanted to use him in the in the area of fiction and that he could do the most good for the Lord there. So he wrote the, the Space Trilogy. It never got as widely received, but it is by far, um, it's one of his later works, by far the best things he's ever written. The things that out of everything I've read by him have affected me more deeply on a spiritual level than anything else. So that just, just a tip, but we'll talk on another, uh, just a couple more things back to Jesus though, that I got to relate to quantum physics. Would you just save this for our other podcast? I'm going to share it in a topic, man. Jesus walking uh, on water. Totally possible. According to quantum physics. Absolutely. Jesus, when he gets on the boat and all of a sudden they find (laughs) themselves at the shore, Quantum physics says totally doable. Philip, um, you know, after uh, he, uh, the, the eunuch, and he gives the, the, he baptizes him, and then all of a sudden he finds himself in the other city. I don't remember what it was. Quantum physics says totally possible. Yeah. Um, when Jesus says, if you had faith, you could say to this mountain, you know, pick yourself up, move over there. According to quantum physics, totally possible. So what you're trying to say there, Pete, is this Jesus guy, he seemed to know what he's talking about. This Jesus guy knew quantum physics. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he just looked at everyone with a wink. One day you'll know. And then, well, and the then, thing. and then when you look hey, at, hey, we got to get onto our topic. No, Pop wait, Doc wait, wait, got to save it. Wait, he he totally blows a Trinity, movie for me. And you understand he totally the blows Trinity. a movie for me. He watches a movie called Predestination about time travel. He's on the phone with me, and he blows the whole thing because he can't contain himself. I told you on Facebook. I said, "Spoiler <laughs> alert! Don't read the rest of this post if you're going to watch." I'm on this the phone movie. going, "Shut up!" He's like, "But, buddy, this." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, let's hit Doc Brown, man. Let's go oh, for it. That's right. I forgot we got a little Doc Brown. Hold on. Here's here's Doc Brown. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. All right. So what is this week's topic? Okay. So this week's topic quantum is physics. quantum physics. <laughs> Predestination. Predestination. That's the name of the film, by the way. We're not waxing all theological on you. But uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk today about the vision meeting. And I don't think we've actually talked. We've talked about having a vision meeting. Like we just mentioned it in passing, but we've never talked about the vision meeting which uh, we've got Ruben Young, who uh, is um, planting in San Pedro. He's a multiplier. He's a serial planner, ninja planner, church planning ninja, whatever you want to call him. And he's my he pastor. Is, and uh, well, apparently you're his pastor. I know. That's, that's but, just uh, sad. He always tells me, always goes, you're not my pastor. I'm for listening. Pete's my pastor. 
But uh, anyways, he asked me, he said, hey, uh, we're getting ready to do a vision meeting. And um, he, you know, I asked him, I go, hey, Ruben, um, float me a copy of what you're going to do. And he hits me back and goes, I will, as soon as you do the podcast on how to do a vision meeting. Nice. <laughs> so here we are. We're going to, uh, for Ruben Young, uh, and maybe it'll help the rest of you, we are going to do the uh, how to do a vision meeting. So uh, this happens during your core team at some point. Um, what it is, is you've gathered all these people, you've given them your mission statement. Remember that back when we talked about how to gather a core team, which by the way, is uh, uh, one of the, the months, it's month five in uh, jump school. If you want to join jump school, you can join it every month. It starts from month one for you. If you enroll, you enroll from month one. You don't enroll from month five or six. So anyways, um, you can do that anytime. But month five's topic is, is uh, gathering your core team. And part of gathering your core team is also training them. Because once you have them with you, you need to, you know, they're going to come based on your mission statement, your vision. But you need to have a vision meeting. For example, the reason why is suddenly people see your vision and it's like a broad brushstroke. But they want to know what are the finer details of this. So when you plan a church, everybody comes into it with their own version of what that church is going to be. And they've got all this baggage. They want to bring their agendas. And so they have questions. And the vision meeting is the place for you to really nail your colors to the mass theologically. You set a day or a half day aside for it. And you get down to brass tacks. That's the time to ask all the questions, to really spell out to them what you're going to do. Um, to um, maybe talk about what's going to fly, what's not going to fly, um, deal with their concerns. Um, so we call it a vision meeting. Vision is, you know, you're giving them more vision. Um, kind of like we said earlier in the pie, I think I said that you were drinking pop culture through a garden hose, but you're giving them vision through a fire hose. This is like an intensive. Um, their head ought to be reeling when they walk out of there, but their heart should be on fire. If they're called to be with your church plant, um, by the end of that day, they should just be chomping at the bit to take the city that you're planning in. So, you know, I've dug out for the purpose of today's podcast, I've dug out some of my old documents. Um, they're funny. Um, you know, you, you look at your vision meetings of the past and you pull them out. And it's kind of like pulling out your, uh, you know, your high school graduation tuxedo or whatever it was, prom night tux. And you, you just laugh like, wow, really? I wore that? And, uh, and that's what it feels like on this. But um, I, I don't know. Should I, should I start with my oldest? Because I, I actually couldn't find my very first one, I don't think. Um, I think you should start by setting the tone of um, when do you do it? Who should oh, be yeah. invited to it? Like give them the structure for yeah, yeah. that. No, that's and, good. And then we'll okay, get into okay. what, what do you do on it or at it. Yeah, yeah. So what I that that's really good because on average, if I were taking a core team through, um, you know, development, because it, people forget you got to train your core team. Don't gather a core team and then immediately launch with them. That that's going to result in some heartache. I mean, you can do it that way. We were just interviewing um, one of our new breed guys, and um, he took his leadership as his core team, and he trained them for a number of months. But then he was like, hey, basically, we met for less than a month with all the people um, that we consider our core team. And then we launched the next month. 
And so it, it's not it's not textbook how I would do it, but for him it worked. But he trained his leadership so well um, that you're always going to have to train a core group of people. And so here's the deal. what Who I consider should come is everybody who's going to be involved in your church plan. Always give them a month's notice, a heads up, maybe even six weeks. This is the most important meeting outside of your launch. And I mean that because this is the point at which um, the, the point at which you have it is right before your cutoff date. Your what I call um, like you have your recruitment period where you're gathering everyone together and you've started your meeting and they all start filtering in and coming from week to week. But usually a couple months out from your launch, what I like to do, it's usually six months. I meet with the core team. And then at the six-month mark of my core team, and I think nine months is ideal. Anywhere from six to 12 is fine. Nine is ideal. Any shorter than six months, I have a theory that says, like Paul says, some men's sins go clearly before them. Other men's come trailing along behind them. That you want to serve and, and worship and get to know people for about six months. You will see the cracks after six months of being in community with them. Okay, you'll you'll see why you wouldn't put this guy into leadership, even though when you first met him, he seemed so awesome, right? Um, so, uh, so six months uh, is less than that is too too late. Um, more than twelve months, people start losing the vision. It's too much talk. It's too much hype, and they're like, "When are we going to do something?" Mm-hmm. So the sweet spot for me is roughly about nine months. So I like to put my vision meeting in between the six and nine month mark preferably around the nine month. And so that leaves three months until my launch. Now, the reason, now this is just ideal. And I did not do this in Refuge Long Beach at all. I, I took the whole core team in three months and boom. And so look, circumstantially, you won't always get this. And don't try to you know, uh, cram a, a square peg in a round hole. But the reality is, here's the mechanics of it. You've had this group of people, you've been training them for months. You may be going through Titus or the book of Acts, or maybe you're going through jump school. And then at the end of that, you have this vision meeting. And anytime after the vision meeting to your launch is what I call the cutoff commitment phase. So once you've done the vision meeting, you basically tell them, look, guys, um, from here on out, you've heard everything that we have. You've asked us all your questions. You shared your concerns. We've shared with you what we're going to do about those concerns. Next week, if I see you back, you're all in. You're going with us. Because when you gather a core team, people need to know that it's the reason I say to have it on a Sunday night is they can still be going to their church, you know, and they're, they're kind of trying it out. They're, they're getting to know it. Um, they, they don't, they never know what they're in for. So during those six months, you're building the vision, you're having to retrain them how to think, uh, as missional Christians, we're going on mission. And, uh, and, and so the vision meeting becomes a rite of passage, a turning point, a linchpin where after that, um, if you come with us, you're here. So I see it as a, as a very, very important date. I make sure everybody's going to be there, right? And uh, after that, I say, if you come back after this, then you're in. And so you won't see everybody come back after that. And that's okay. 
because hopefully it'll be kind of like taking the uh, the troops down for Gideon to the water to have him drink. That some of them are just they're just not going to you know Gideon stands over with the army and goes, hey, some of you guys are scared that you're going to die. Probably best you guys go home. And they go okay, and he loses a ton of men. And then the other ones, God says, well, wait till they go to drink. And those that scoop their hand up uh, and drink with their hands, take them. But the guys who lick like dogs out of the water don't take them. Now, if I were, you know, a general and I were down and dirty and going to go to battle, I would tend to take the guys that lap like dogs. They're probably the animals, right? They're probably the guys that, you know, working class, they're tough, you know. But God goes, no, don't take them. And after all, they were just going to march around the city anyways. But they didn't know that. And God is basically saying, hey, take the guys that, you know, they drink their tea with their pinky extended. You know, take the guys that aren't really meant for battle, and I will be victorious. I will fight this for you. Now, why do you say and, that? Because that wasn't the impression that I got from that when he chose Yeah, what'd the, you get? That uh, they were the guys who were most aware of what their surroundings were because they were picking water up to their mouth. Like, if you put your head down and lap it like a dog and you're, in, uh, you're a soldier, well, someone could come up behind you and kill you. You could be attacked. But if the guy who's, like, bringing the water up to his mouth, he's constantly looking around him. Like I took it as like those were the the best soldiers. That's what I took it as. Yeah, no, it, it it's highly possible, except that they weren't doing the fighting. <laughs> well, yes, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. But that's why I took it that way. I was like, man, yeah, they well, didn't have very many. Who people knows? Who were you know what? Concerned. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong on that. You know, but uh, that's how I took it. So here's here's the deal, though, right? Well, you um, know what quantum physics says about that? Oh. Well, quantum physics says we're both right, Pete. No, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> we gave birth to ourselves. Oh, that's such a great movie. <laughs> Don't give it away, Pete. But but here's the thing. Um, there there's some rules to this vision meeting. Um, it, it, you need to break it up. If you're going to be there for a day, you need to make sure it's got a lot of starts and stops. Um, don't make it like this long marathon classroom, two hours and then a break and then another two hours and then a break, break it up, man. Like, like make sure it's always moving. Um, it, it's a long day. Give them breaks, give them, make sure, please make sure there's coffee there. Um, I've been to church planning meetings recently and I don't even know if I can call them church planning meetings. Mm. There were no coffee, no <laughs> coffee. That's un- that. Never mind. Don't get me started. Have coffee. I don't care if you got to go get travelers at Starbucks. Tea hmm? if you're in the UK. Yeah, we did, but we actually we actually converted them to drinking good coffee in the UK. I'm quite oh, proud of that. Nice. Yes, but we had tea and coffee, so it was kind of cool. Best of both worlds. So there's a couple things that need to be in this. Number one, there needs to be worship because this is not a business meeting. This is a seek the Lord together meeting. Um, there needs to be prayer. There needs to be communion, right? Um, you are coming together around Jesus, and you want him to be in the midst. And nothing brings Jesus into the midst of a group of people like communion. Um, he, he promises he would be there. His presence is, is felt in a special way um, when you're doing that. He, he says, do it in remembrance of me. So it, it needs to be, and I would say do it like the first thing, worship, prayer, and communion, right? Then I would give a devotional. So, like, I'm pulling out one of my old documents. Uh, this this one is actually from 2013, Refuge, because I do these every year, right? Like, I'm not, 
I, I learned quickly that if you're in a growing church, that you need to do this for all the new people as they come in as well. And so I don't make it like the new believers class. I ask the entire church to come back to this and get reminded again. And I make it fun. There should always be food in some way, shape, or form. You're going to eat together, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner or all three, depending on how long you're there. Food needs to factor heavily. Mm. So uh, food and coffee. What's that? Yeah, totally. And uh, I can remember, Pete, you remember the vision meeting we did in Long Beach? We uh, we got that tower, that Holiday Inn tower, oh, and yeah. uh, had all the glass windows. And we could see the entire city of Long Beach from, it was right across from Long Beach Airport. And we, we could see everything. And that thing was awesome. It I was remember so- that because um, almost no one from that meeting is still at the church. <laughs> I remember uh, Debbie Stoner was there, and you're like, I don't care if anyone else stays with us, but Debbie has to come with us. We need her for the children. <laughs> yeah, she was awesome. She only just recently went to another church, but but in a good way. Like, you right, know, yeah. you lose people in your church plant, and uh, it that's okay. You know, like Debbie was with us for like three and a half years, and she's going over Actually, to a church. Mike Berry, he's still there. And he yeah, was at he's that meeting there. because yeah. it, it, this is a true story. And Mike and, and you, I, Mike, well, yeah, <laughs> me, but I don't count. Mike and I joke about this all the time. Um, we had communion at that meeting and there was a big loaf of sourdough bread. And Mike's like, Hey man, I want some of that bread. <laughs> I look at him and I go, I'm pretty sure that's the communion bread. And then he like notices, Oh yeah, there's some grape juice and Oh, okay. And so now we make the joke all the time. I'm like, Hey, you seen any communion bread around here? I could really go for some. <laughs> I love how Jesus totally like lets David off the hook for that. Hey, he was hungry, you know? Right. But, uh, temple bread. Hey, I was hungry. It's bread. You know, let's, let's be reasonable here. But, uh, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, we, I always want these to be special. And, um, the last one we did, we did at Pete's house. It wasn't very special. No, it, it's never special here. Doing them in a house is actually ideal because, um, it's so comfortable and it's family either do it in a really cool place with an awesome view. Like I, I had everyone stand up and pray out the window over the city. Um, we did this in Wales as well. We got a really cool building, um, it was on the coast. We could see the, the Irish Sea out the window. It's just awesome. And I always believe either do it in a place where you can see the city or, you know, do it at home. There's no right or wrong, but just make it special. Make it like a date for your church that they go on together. It's like, you know, it's like a night out with God, you know, but a, a, a day out with God. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, looking now, I'm going to I'm gonna zip to one of my old uh, documents here and kind of go over, um, let's see, I'm going to go over some of my old documents. Gosh, I've got stuff from Wales from 2009. And, uh, if I just, if I just go through one of my vision meetings, let me just give you a schedule. This is what one of them, none of them look the same, but this is what, what one of them looked like. This wasn't the core team one. This was like a maintenance one. In fact, the 2009, This is a good three years in, right? Um, So that one was 12.45, we eat lunch because they eat lunch at one o'clock. You know, 1.30, we clean up. Uh, 1.45, introduction, that was me. Um, Worship and communion, Andrea hosted. 
um, pillar distinctives who we are i did um, just an introduction uh, those at 215 uh, the five pillars of pillar we had the five pillars of pillar and those were something i put kind of i thought it was funny because there's five pillars of islam so <laughs> we had the five pillars of pillar and it, they were all c's i never illiterate except for the the couple p's i have to take when i'm speaking um nervous nervous p's and uh so i committed communion compassion community and contemporary and um and then i talk about sunday morning mechanics Oh, and each one of my leaders would take one of those. And I always believe that you should have other people, not one guy taking the vision meeting. It should always be a mix, like a tag team, so that there's there's different personalities infused into the day. It's a community feel. It's not one dude talking at everybody and lecturing them. And uh, and then the next thing on this was Sunday morning mechanics, and I talked about the cakes because you know we did discussion groups. So I talked about, you know, hey, guys, we can go to the store and buy cakes, but like this is Britain, right? Like you can bake cakes, but time to move on. You know, some people bake, some people don't. Always takes a little more effort. But I'm like, look, if we're doing this for God and we are doing this evangelistically, then let's make sure our cakes are the best. And I have to say, Pillar had during those discussions some good stuff, man. I mean, we had some some very talented people, but um Every once in a while, it would start slipping or someone would get burned out and I'd have to give the, our cakes suck. And we'd always tell people, hey, take a break. You've been like doing awesome stuff. Like take a few months off. Don't do anything for a while. No problem. And then we'd ask other people, hey, step up, you know. And uh, and so we would get the our cakes suck talk and everyone laugh. And maybe every six months or once a year, I'd, I'd have to give the our cakes suck talk. And I'd tell them, I'd say, it's time for the our cakes suck talk. And, and everyone would laugh, you know, um, you need to always have humor in your vision, always humor if you're correcting people, um, because you're a community, your friends, um, uh, talk about worship. And one of the things that I was always jealous of was if we're worshiping God, don't get up, you know, like sudden, like go pee before the service or, you know, whatever. I just say, you know, Hey, when you're worshiping, don't be chatting with your neighbor. Like, there's a lost people coming in here and they're only going to think God is as real as you show him to be. So and where that came from for me is very personally, when I first came into a church, I saw Christians worshiping and I was blown away. Like these people really believe like they were singing their guts out to God. And so for me, I, I describe that. I share that story. I don't, Hey, you guys suck, man. You guys are getting up, going to the bathroom. You know, I just tell them, Hey, you know what? I'm really jealous about this for, for worship. And here's why, let me tell you how I came to faith and what was the number one thing that stuck out to me. My first time I ever went to church and I just talked about the worship. It wasn't the message. It was the worship. I thought, man, this room full of people, they can't all be nuts. Right. And, and then, so anyways, then, uh, at a section called vision and I call that talk chartering an airplane. I want them to get crazy. If you could charter an airplane and money weren't a, uh, a limitation, what would you do? And I'm looking for people's gifts. That's a whole other talk. Um, what every Christian needs, that's Acts 2.42. Um, uh, then we had a break, climbing out of the rut, strategizing life change. That's where Jeff came in. He was our prophetic guy. And he talked to him about, hey, you know, um, some of you guys, you know, um, 
you, you don't know what God can do in your life yet. And he would really encourage them and talk about stuff that the Holy Spirit wanted to do in them, through them, in their midst. Of course, we had seen miracles by then. You know, we we had seen some amazing things, um, people healed. Uh, and, and Jeff was always kind of trying to encourage other people. Like Jeff was like, hey, it's not me. It's nothing to do with me. Um, you know, God wants to use you. And by, by the end, by the time I left, um, that church had all kinds of people using spiritual gifts like they never had in their life. So it was pretty cool. So that was one meeting. That was just kind of the breakdown. And they're all different, man. W- what you got to look at is what is it that people need to know? You know, what things do we need to address? You know? Okay. So, so like what? Um, well, if I were planting, which, which by the way, let me, let me go back. When yeah. did you do? Because I remember in the vision meetings, you would do the newspaper deal. When do you do that in the vision meetings? Yeah, so that that would be. Right, I learned to do that. that is. Okay, so when I'm looking for people's gifts, one of the things I've learned to do is to take uh, a newspaper for the city I'm planting in, and I usually do this first time around. Um, you could go back and do it every year, but. I would ask them to, to in, a, in groups, um, they're always sitting in groups, not rows. Um, I would ask them to circle the needs and talk about the needs. And then individually, everybody's given a newspaper. Um, circle the ones that you're passionate about. If you could do two, if there's two that you're really, oh, these are the most important needs, um, you circle those. So one guy might serve, you know, um, something to do with jail or, you know, um, orphans, foster care, whatever. And then what happens is once you see someone really identifying with needs, that's where their gifts usually are. That's how I've learned to trace people back to their gifts. Out of like a hundred different needs in a newspaper, the ones that jump out to a person are connected to their gifts. So um, if someone's like, oh, homeless, well, you probably have the gift of giving. Um, if, if it's um, foster care and all this, you know, it might be compassion. And so I've learned to um, just look at, you know, the, uh, uh, I, would, I would explain, you know, after I'd say, look at those two, look at those two. And if you could do something and money weren't an issue, so it connects in with that, that whole part about chartering an airplane. If money were, you know, like, and I call it chartering an airplane because I give them the, um, the story about, you know, I remember this woman going, you know, I, 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 when I first became a Christian, I thought, wouldn't it, and this in Wales, wouldn't it be so cool to take all these kids from working class families in the inner city and put them all on an airplane and take them to Africa and do shoe boxes, you know, in, in Africa, like the Christmas child stuff. And, and she's like, but you know, it's a crazy dream and um, it'll never happen. I don't have that kind of money. But what I was hearing was this woman's passion in her heart. And why not? Like, if, if we had enough people in our church that that was their passion, we could do that. Mm. We might only get a few kids out there, but we could do that. And so what a lot of times people do is they take their crazy ideas and they keep them to themselves. Yeah, because they think, oh, well, you know, we're, we're, we're following behind the pastor's vision, you know, whatever he wants to do. And the reality is the Holy Spirit probably wants to do a lot more than just what the pastor did. And so I kind of share the power and say to everybody, look, you were uh, given these gifts by the Holy Spirit. And if I have 
30 of you in this church that have the gift of compassion and have a desire to do that, that's going to be our ministry. You know, I mean, somewhere someone, uh, Franklin Graham started up that Operation Christmas Child because I would, I would imagine that probably not himself, but probably some little old lady in this church, I don't know the story, but probably some little old lady in this church had this crazy idea and he got behind it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so that, that's what I want. I want people to take ownership of this community and to realize I have a gift. I need to maybe listen to the Holy Spirit. And what I tell them during that time is, look, guys, I'm listening. I may be the leader or one of the spiritual leaders here, but that doesn't mean I have the monopoly on the vision. In fact, the opposite. What I believe my job is, is to listen to your vision and to collect those visions together and connect them to how the Holy Spirit has strategically placed gifts in this congregation. To me, that's one of the biggest things that comes out of um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the vision meeting. And there's a lot of direction stuff that comes out of it too. So don't get me wrong. Like for example, I would, um, I would say things like, I'm just looking for one of my documents here. I think I'm in the wrong. Um, let me open up pages here. Um, I, I have like certain principles. What kind of church will we be? Was what I gave refuge Long Beach when I first went there, our very first one. Um, and then I gave the three taglines of new breed, biblical, missional and radical. And I went straight into Ephesians 4 and biblical. There will not be one leader. There will be a team of leaders. And those teams of leaders are equipping you for leadership. Word to the Lord that all of his people were prophets. So I foresee in future that we'll split up in different ways, plant more churches. And some of you that think your pew sitters are going to be leaders, leading congregations on teams. And that's how I see a core team. I see them as a bunch of pregnant little leaders you know, ready to go and birth a church plant. That's how I see my core teams. Hmm. Um, forging identity. You know, we talked about stupid things in that first one. Um, uh, possible things to consider meeting time, location, name, funding. So that was all brass tacks. I think I talked to him about giving. That's what funding was. I made it clear to him, look, the mothership is not giving us a dime from here on out. Um, this is totally self-funded. People went, oh, crud, are you serious? We thought they were floating us. No, they're not floating us. Um, they're not going to give us a dime. And so all that kind of stuff was really important. Then I, then I had a topic called uh, No Spectators Allowed, Gift-Driven Ministry, which is what you just asked about, Missional Community, and then um, Sunday Outreach, that Sunday is outreach. Um, told them how discussions work. Um, did another workshop on discovering your gifts. And uh, we ended with worship and prayer. And okay, so going to uh, my very first vision meeting, I think I found the notes for that. Um, and by the way, keep your notes of what you covered at each vision meeting. I mean, I've got these. I, I, I haven't really studied them, but it's good to go back and to see what you shared with people uh, before. And you will change it. And it will change every time. But there will be certain key characteristics. So going back to my very first vision meeting, uh, this is for Pillar church in Swansea, Wales. And this is one that came out of a Starbucks. So nine months, you know, uh, out or sorry, this was just over seven months out. We did this meeting and this is what I introed. I, um, I talked about the fact this is a spiritual meeting. It's a time for us to hear from God. 
um, a time to dream, a time to think outside the box, a time to let the Holy Spirit stir things up. And then I talked about the fact that, look, uh, Jesus stood with Peter and told him one day, you're going to be led to places you don't want to go. And I said, so all of you are here because you want to go where we're going, but God's going to take you out of your comfort zone and you're going to need to walk on water. And of course, at that time, we were doing the outreach in the Starbucks. And so this was a talk about, look, guys, we've been doing this radical thing. We're not going to stop just because we're setting up a church. And so that was the first one was just setting expectations of what they were supposed to be doing. And then the second talk, that I gave. And these were brief. This was like a five minute, 10 minute talk. And uh, then we probably had like worship communion or something. Then my second talk was, um, I just said, first thing, pillar's going to be different than any church you've been a part of. Don't come in here thinking you're going to bring your old church in here. And I just told him just point blank church is broken in Wales. It's just broken. And we don't want to be a bigger version of what sucks. Um, if you come in with your old understanding, this children, this church will suck. And, but if you know this vision and you're committed to it and you have the gut to, um, stay with us, then this church is going to rock. Okay. Now this is 2005. So that's how I talked back then. Still talk that way. We're old now, Pete. So we don't change very much. We you're get set old. in our ways. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually older than you. You are. You're much I'm older, older than most you. people now. Yeah. It's weird. You'll always be older than me. Yeah. And so here's a deal. As I talked about the difference between two, uh, disciples and believers and that we had no membership, that what membership often is, is it's a way to tell believers that they should be disciples. Okay. And I said, look, I'm called to make disciples. Um, if you're if you're here, I'm going to disciple you. I'm just going to disciple you. I don't have this membership business because... If you're here, I'm going to disciple you. If you're saved, I'm going to disciple you. If you're not saved, I'm going to disciple you. That's what I'm called to do. So um, I shared with them the fact that you disciple people by, so you can see how this is all vision. I'm setting, I'm setting the stage for like, you know, everything I want them to do, how I want them to think. That's the purpose of this meeting. So I'm telling them, look, if you just come here and do nothing, you'll disciple others. Um, you will multiply yourself. But if you can understand that, look, I am going to reproduce myself naturally. I gave him the scenario about a new Christian who comes and sits next to you. They're looking to you to learn what a Christian is. Don't mislead them. And so it was putting this onus on them that it's not me from the front. It's you. They're going to listen to me, but they're going to turn and look at you. And if they're turning and looking at you, um, what are you showing them? What is Christianity? They're watching you. They're they're new. They're brand new Christians. They're going to look at the person next to them and copy that person and go, this is what a believer is. So I guess I got to be like this guy. So I said, make yourself something worth imitating, you know? And, uh... Wow. I think that train is coming through your door. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and that was the speed train, man. That's the one that goes from TJ to San Fran. TJ. You can tell when the speed train comes. So, uh, anyways, um, up on yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, I gave him a bit of theology about. It. I said believers think believing is what God wants from them. Okay, they're just like I just believe, and believers just sit. 
This is their idea of church, more sitting. But in order to still not feel guilty and be able to call themselves Christians, they have to go and sit in church. And so that's what they believe their job is. And so I said, but believers, um, James says, that doesn't really necessarily make you saved. Um, James says believers, uh, demons are believers, and they believe in God, but they tremble. And so um, so it was kind of challenging them to rethink Christianity. And quoting First John, where he says, if we say we know him, let us walk as he walked. And I said, look, I want to be the church that walks as he walks. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Christian means a little Jesus. I'm going to ask you to walk with God. I'm going to ask you to get involved in the lives of others. I'm going to ask you to embark on mission. I'm going to ask you to use your gifts, um, give sacrificially, live a holy life. So, uh, you know, I've gotten uh, parentheses there, like Paul talking to to Titus on Crete. Um, Don't get drunk, don't sleep around, and don't yell at people. (laughs) Because we had had that thing in the Starbucks where... Some Christians came and yelled at people for having the wrong answers. Discussion. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's where the no Christian allowed rule came from. Was the second night at Starbucks, um, Christians came and started like raising their voice. No, the Bible says blah blah blah. And I said, you guys got to let go of that. You can't let that happen. I I I said Sunday's not our main meeting. That was our philosophy. Our main meeting is is in the houses. Um, we're what's called a back to front church. Um, discipleship. I talked about, you know, discipleship is, um, you know, important Sundays are mission. Discipleship happens um, on mission, but also in the week. So Sundays are mission. It's the shop window on and on. Told what cogs were. Um, to, to, told him about how, you know, people read a bulletin and go, no, that doesn't suit. No, that doesn't suit. No, that doesn't suit. And uh, it's, it's what, um, you call Disneyland Christianity, where you pick the rides you want to go on. You go Disneyland, and you know, as if the church were like there to entertain you. And I said, we're not going to have a bunch of things, but I'm going to ask you guys to um, to be a part. So it's kind of like it, it was a challenge. I'm looking back on this, and I'm realizing this was a real challenging day. But what I was doing the whole time is promising them. But you're going to see. Um, people saved. You are going to, and and that's something that we need to always do. If we're asking people to um, do these things, like Shackleton, right? Um, what was the appeal of Shackleton? Shackleton was like little pay, hard hours, few survivors. You know, <laughs> it's like that ad sucks. But why did people go on that? Why did people respond? Because there was this promise of an adventure, and so and fame. I, what's that? fame. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's what I tell them is if you come with me on this church plant, you're going to be famous. One day your name will be up in lights and other churches will chant your name on a Sunday morning and pastors will tell young trainees, why can't you be more like, you know, Reuben Young or Jimbo Balaam or Pete Mitchell? And, uh, you know, so, so that's it, man. I mean, those, those are just examples of things. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, that's where I can remember my very first one. Um, I shared no pets. Your pets can't come to church. Um, no one takes our pets to war. Um, boom, boom, boom. So, they, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. And you, you just no got to break it up. I had a no pets allowed, but it wasn't dogs. What I meant was no pets. Like we all have our, our, our hobby horse or our, our pets. Like, 
you go into church and you're like, I'm into emotional healing no, or I'm into to make that more clear. Cause I'm like, what are you talking about? We got dogs galore at our church. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're, we're stinking zoo, man. So it was really cool it. because this last Sunday, this one gal who comes all the time, she had her little chihuahua, whatever it is. And it was so cold. She had the dog zipped up in her sweatshirt and it was sticking out the top of the sweatshirt. Shaking. Of course. Probably shaking. All right, I'm not yeah. going to look at a woman's dog poking out of its sweatshirt. It's... Yeah, no, no, no. Say no more. Say no more. I got you. But uh, but yeah, you know it it it. That's kind of the vision meeting. And the, at the end of that, like I said, what what you're looking at doing is saying, hey, if you're still with us, we'll we'll see you next week. And I expected some of our people not to come. And guess what? Most of them came. Many of them did not. And the other thing that you need to do is you need to incorporate prayer. At the beginning and end of every session, I have just a short time of open prayer, five minutes or less, maybe a couple minutes. A couple people could pray. I want to hear from the people. I have Q&A. I have discussion after sessions. I try to make the whole thing interactive. You sit around tables. You don't sit in rows. And you just have fun. A vision meeting ought to be a lot of fun. And you ought to joke around a lot and just let people chime in and interrupt and just have fun. That's that's the bottom. That's all I got to say about that. So that's how you do a vision meeting. And you should do them once a year, you know, but but for your core team one, it's essential and it becomes the cutoff, if that makes sense. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Me and Jenny would like peas and carrots. Well, cool, man. Hey, this has been the Church uh, Planter uh, podcast, and um, I want to give a shout out to um, some Church Planter uh, meeting that's coming up. Um, I can't be there because I am going to be on the East Coast doing another conference in Virginia. If any of you are going to be in the Virginia Beach area, I will be at the Activate Conference. It's going to be at the Founders Inn in Virginia Beach. Um, I think you can go to a website, which I don't know and register for that. But uh, I'm going to be speaking on the Thursday and the Friday and the Saturday. And uh, you're more than welcome to uh, to come along. And then on top of that, during those dates, Tim Keller is going to be in LA for the Together LA event. And that's going to be uh, February 27th and 28th. And if you're in the area, um, by all means, go there. And when you shake his hand and have him sign your book, ask him to write that his favorite podcast is the church planner podcast because we pay good money for that kind of endorsement. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, well, cool. This has been the church planner podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music